0: Pray with me for just a moment as we begin. God, as we look at this passage and I think of myself, I become uncomfortable. Not because I'm younger than half the people in this room or because I'm not the pastor or because I'm nervous about speaking in public. I'm uncomfortable because of the sin that this passage brings to my mind and to my attention. I think of the people in this room, and I know most of them. I think of their faces. I think of their past, their present challenges in life. And God, I'm motivated because you're motivated. You have a desire to come this morning and liberate us, set us free from apathy, from complacency, from a lukewarm heart that repulses You, the kind of heart that you want nothing other than to throw out of your mouth. I pray against that in the power of your spirit that you would come and change us. As we look at this text, I pray for courage to look at our own lives to see where this might apply. That takes courage and we need it from you this morning. The name of Jesus may be glorified in everything we do. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This text, uh, I've been thinking about it for some time. I'm taking a seminary class, and it first came up a few months ago. And the professor who was teaching it was, um, you know, he's very straightforward, but he's not really impassioned. He doesn't say a lot of, you know, O's, and he's not really emotional. So I was reading or thinking through his his teaching. And, and, and for some reason, this passage uh, sparked an interest in me and started my heart pounding. And so I looked at it more and more and more. And the more I looked at it, the more I realized how uncomfortable I felt uh, with my own sin, with my own self. And uh, so so I wanted to, to look at this text with you this morning. In high school ministry and middle school ministry, every youth leader who teaches is told to to do one basic thing when they teach, whether it's Sunday school detour bridge or, or on a retreat or anywhere, ice cream social, we, we want to teach the Bible, meaning want to take the text and put it up there somewhere or put it in their hands if they have their own Bible or print it out for them if they don't. And we want them to understand what it says. So tell them, tell them what it says. That's a success for any ministry-related event. And so this morning we're looking at a text, we're, we're taking the text, and what we're going to do is, is not try to put ourselves into it or not try to think, hey, what's the most important part of this text? Well, I think it's this, and I think it's this, and I think it's that. And we have all different opinions, which is, which is okay, but I, what I want to do is take the text and just let it speak to you. And there are some things that you'll roll easy with, and there's other things that you'll probably not roll so easy with. It'll be a question mark in your minds. Uh, but I encourage you to let the text just speak to you And so the main idea, as I say to the youth leaders, come up with a big idea, a main idea that captures the text. And so this is what I think this text is saying. It says the gospel is successful. It's a question. Is it successful if it's measured by these three things? It's measured by these three things. First, people doing whatever it takes. That's the first point. Second, authentic conversion happens. And third, always results in intimate affection. So people doing whatever it takes, whatever it takes, authentic conversion occurs, and intimate affection always occurs, always results. So we're going to look at those three points. Now, I'm going to connect the words a little bit here so, so it'll make a little bit better sense. The 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 gospel is successful if it's measured by people, people who are doing whatever it takes out of and leading to an authentic conversion, which always results in intimate affection for for one another. Now, success is kind of hard to define. I think it's very difficult, actually, to say, yes, it's successful, or no, it's not successful. I'm not really sure. Let's just put it in various contexts. Context. First, success for the ACC tournament. If I ask the question, was the ACC tournament successful? I, I, see, some, yeah, I see some heads nodding. Yes. And they're not Michigan State fans. I, I'm not sure of all the teams. But you if you're UNC, you would say yes. If you're not UNC, you probably would say no. No, you wouldn't probably say no. You would say no because you lost. That's the point. In sports, there's no question as to whether or not you're successful or not. You either win or you lose. Now, it becomes a little cloudy and muddy when your coach, when you lost the game and your coach comes to you, and, you know, he kind of muddies it up a little. He says things like, well, the game was played, you know, we had a good time. We're going to hold our heads high, and that's really the point. That's really why we're playing is, you know, because we're, we're here to have fun or whatever. He muddies it up. But the truth of the matter is you lost, right? <laughs> You're a loser. You <laughs> failed miserably. And whatever, however many three points you made, you lost the game. That's the whole point. Now, It becomes a little less clear if you start talking about, uh, for example, your job. If you say, "Is my job successful?" Students, your high school students, your college students, your job is school. So you're a student. Your job. Look at your job. Your full-time job. Are you successful? A mm, little less clear, isn't it? You start thinking like this. Well, I made a lot of money last year, and. I didn't have to work more than 50 hours a week. Um, I like the people I work with, and I've got a future in this company. So yeah, I, I am a success. The, the job is a success. So you, you start thinking like that, but there's a lot of room for conversation there. And let's put it in the context of marriage. It gets even more muddy or cloudy. You, you think about relationships that you have. Is your relationship successful with your spouse? Well, I didn't hit her. I didn't. She didn't hit me. I mean, you know. <laughs> Parents, are you successful with your kids? you can start thinking in in complicated ways about the word success and whether or not it's a success or it's not. And here's the hardest one. Is the gospel a success here at Christ Community Church? I mean, we built a building. We painted the walls. You know, we put all this wires in the ceiling to get the technology working. Are we a success? That's a great question to ask. And here's a hundred ways you could answer it. Well, a lot of of people can it wasn't a seat to be filled. I mean, we had overflow, we're a success. Or we collected more in the tithe basket. Than, these are normal things you think about. And every minister and every Christian is probably going to say, no, that's not the measure of success. We know better than to count people in money. Come on, that's not the measure of success. But what is the measure of success? Paul says in, in verse 1, he says, my coming to you is not in vain, meaning empty in purpose. Meaning, not a failure. I love the NIV translation. (laughs) Failure. I wasn't a failure. And he doesn't say, I know that. I'm alone in my knowledge of that. Paul says, I know it. And you, Thessalonians, you know it. It's not a failure. And so he's going to unpack what he thinks is a success. So let's look at these points. Now, I said, first one is people doing whatever it takes. And the second one is authentic conversion. And then the third one was always resulting in intimate affection for one another. Well, I'm going to take the first and the third and then end on the second. If you could just follow that. First, people doing whatever it takes. Let's let's look at the text. I'll show you where I found this particular uh, phrase. Okay, If you look at verse 2. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition we're bold in other words we're daring we're taking risks that's one of the measurements of whether or not the gospel is successful here at Christ community well let's look don't run away from it look at your heart look at this church examine it let's let's see if we're being successful are we being risky how many risks are we taking for the gospel? It's a good question to ask. I, I apply that to myself. How far am I willing to go to show someone else the gospel, to proclaim the gospel? I'm certainly willing to go. Let's ex- use an example here. I'm, I'm certainly willing to go uh, to an Easter egg hunt. I'm willing I'm willing to set up all the Easter eggs. I'm willing to stand in front and sing some songs. I'm willing to pat a, Child on the head and play games with him and love him. And, and if he asks a question about the Bible, I'd be willing and able to sit down for 15 minutes, I think, before my time runs out and, and explain the gospel. Am I willing to do more than that? Are you willing to do more than that? You, you think about Haiti. I'm willing to pray for Haiti. I'm willing to give money for Haiti. I'm willing to go down there for a week and, and run around in Haiti for a week. But am I willing to sell my home? And move in to where the Easter egg hunt was in Royal Palms Trailer Park and live there. Am I willing to sell my home and run the orphanage in Haiti under Charles Amesey? Am I willing to give up what I have? And so often what I find, and I'm sure you find the same thing, is I'm protecting myself. And the very protecting is keeping the gospel from being proclaimed. Not stopping God, He's sovereign. But I'm finding in my own life I resist that. I want to protect myself. I don't want to take a risk. And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's not selling you. Or maybe you want to get out of your home and go somewhere else. Maybe I don't know. But what is the risk for you? I know the lunch lunch cafeteria, very risky. Very risky if you start saying things like, I'm a Christian, and you bring your let's say you bring your Bible into the lunch cafeteria, and you plop it down, and you just Just to have it there, just on the lunch table. Pretty risky. Your heart starts beating really fast. When you you tell other people you're a Christian, where's the risk for you? That's that's the question I'm going to leave you with. I don't know where the risk might be for you. I know for sure where the risk is for me, uh, but I don't know where it is for you. Let's look at another one. Look look at verse 9. This is another example of people doing whatever it takes. Now, I'm not saying just Paul. I want you to hear me. Not just Paul. Paul uses the word we a number of times. So it's Paul and everyone in his party. So it's we, okay? Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Things like, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Things like, whatever you do to the least of these... You do unto me labor toil. This isn't risky. Risky is exciting. You think about moving into another country and being a missionary. Wow. Some of us, I'm ready. I'm ready. I want want excitement. But what God may be calling you to do is labor and toil. What did Paul do? What did this mean physically really for Paul? Well, you know, he's a tent maker. And in other epistles, he says, that's what I did. I was a tent maker. In Acts, you remember, he, it describes him as a... Te- Just picture Paul the Apostle, the most authoritative man on the face of the earth. He's a sent one from God. He's writing the New Testament. I mean, and he's sitting there in a chair, sewing canvas. That's what he's doing, sewing canvas. Are you sewing canvas so the gospel can be proclaimed? Are you willing to do that? What does that mean for you? I know what it means for me. I mean, I don't like what it means for me. What it means for me is I have to do the boring work. In order for someone to stand up at detour, for example, and preach the gospel in such a way that people are excited and provoked and people are saved, I have to collect hoses and put them all together and take them from here all the way to that dirt mound over there and sweat, tears, and blood as I'm. I mean, it's just miserable. That's what it means for me. I don't want to do the hose thing. I just want to say we're not playing games anymore for youth ministry. That's what we're not doing anything like that anymore. We're just going to sit here on the floor and talk about the gospel. It'll take 30 minutes. Just come on. No work involved for David Hendricks. But, but that's not the way high school students will listen to you. You you need to create memories with them. You need to establish a relationship, and that takes lots. Of labor and toil. What is it for you? Where's the labor and toil for you? Where is the sewing of canvas in your life? Paul the Apostle sewed canvas. Are you? In this church, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say boring labor for the gospel? In my mind, you know what it is? I'm going to go out there. I'm going to sit on that couch. And I'm going to be the nursery guy. I'm gonna be the fill-in. That's me. No, I'll get the sermon later. I'll get the music later. You know what I'm gonna be? I'm gonna tell all the nursery coordinators. I'm, I'm just kidding, by the way. Don't hear me. I'm, this is this is in my mind. I, I can't really say this because it's hard. But this is my sacrifice. I'm gonna go out there and I'm just gonna be the nursery guy. You don't go find someone else. You have if you have a missing place in your nursery staff? Just come find me. That's toil. That's labor. That's not selfish that's selfless and that's to some degree what paul is doing not to be a burden to others so they can hear the gospel i am doing labor and notice what he says i didn't have to do that i didn't have to i could have thrown my apostolic weight around i'm an apostle i'm your father in in, in christ i'm your spiritual father i could come to you You're saved. I could come to you and say, you need to give me money, and I'd be absolutely right. But I don't. What does he say? I'm gentle, like a nursing mother. You see that? The labor and the toil that Paul went through. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm already feeling uncomfortable again. I kind of want to go out of this text, but I'm not going to because there's more here. Let's get to the third point. Not only do people do whatever it takes we see this in risk taking and we see it in labor and we see it in toil no the third point it always ends in something that escapes many of us here at this church not everybody but you know as well as i do intimate affection for one another you come to church you've been here for 10 years you shake a hand you smile and you leave intimates no there's no intimacy Affection? Well, I like you. That's not what Paul's talking about. Listen. Listen to these words. Verse 8. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives, our own lives as well. Because you had become, and it doesn't say in my translation, you have become dear to us says you have become so dear to us look it's not just sharing information it's not just proclaiming the gospel is not just sharing information we didn't just share the gospel but our very lives and you would translate that it's your duty to love them it's your duty to serve them it's your duty to be the nursery guy i mean that's that's my duty i don't like it i don't want to do it but it's my duty and look Son, my daughter, son, my children, I'm going to tell them this. I know it. You're going to tell them to your children. This is what you say. Love is a choice. You know why? You know why people tell you that? Think about it. You don't feel like doing it. Now, I'm all about that. That's true. I'm going to tell hope and, and gladly love is a choice. And sometimes when you don't feel like loving someone, you've got to love them anyway that's true but if that's your ideal you're way off the gospel is not a success if there isn't intimate affection the gospel is not a success here at this church if there's not intimate affection you cannot you cannot serve out of simply your duty to Christ you you have to have intimate affection i use the word always because there there really isn't much of an exception that I can see in the life of Paul. You go to other passages. Let me read some just quickly to you. Second Corinthians 7. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you have given him. He told us about your longing, Corinthians, for me. Your deep sorrow for me. Your ardent concern for me. So that my joy was greater than ever. Don't gloss over those passages where Paul gets really emotional and you kind of get stiff and uncomfortable. You feel like Paul the Apostle is just jumping on you and hugging you and you're just like, okay, this is awkward. That's this passage right here. Colossians 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, that you already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. you hear it, intimate affection, and it's not just a personality. You can't say that Paul the apostle was just over emotional, and he just liked the Thessalonians, and that's it. No, he liked the Romans, he liked the Colossians, he liked the Corinthians, and if you read with any kind of attention span, these books I've just mentioned, you'll realize there were a lot of turkeys in that church, those churches. Lots of people not easy to love. Unloving, unlovely people in in those churches. Not easy to love them. Remember what he said in 2 Timothy? At my trial? Who came? Nobody. But he's loving. He's intimate. Like a can't think of a more intimate and very awkward. Like I, I, you walk into a room, you see a nursing mother. Oh, that's intimate right there. I, you know, that's the most intimate kind of relationship I can think of. And he says, I'm like that to you. You're the baby. I'm the nursing mother. I, that's intimacy. That's affection. And if you don't have that affection, why? Why not? Why not? It's not just a personality. Let's look at the front of your bulletin. There's a a great quote. Here it is. Audrey Hepburn. I was born with an enormous need for affection and a terrible need to give it. That's not what Paul's talking about. It's not codependency. It's not I have a need to be needed by you. Right? It's not I'm so in love with you. I can't live my life without you. It's not that. Not a country western song. It's not the kind of love we're talking about here. It's an intimate affection between Christian brothers, and, and we're going to get to this in just a minute. But I'll hold off for just a minute. Now let's ask the question: Is the gospel successful here? Do we see intimate to confe- um, affection for others in the way that Paul described it? Do we do we see people taking great risks for others and others outside? Do we see labor? Do we have a line for the labor? jobs, the toil jobs here at Christ Community? Ask that question of your life personally. Does that describe you? And if you're like me, this is the answer. No, no, that's way over there, and I'm way over here, and we're so far from meeting that standard. Remember my middle point. The middle point that I think is coming out in this text is that there's authentic conversion. And we're aware of the word conversion, I was old, and now I'm new. I was dead, and now I'm alive. I was blind, but now I see. I was deaf, but now I hear. All these kinds of conversion types of words are very familiar to us. But I want to I think a little bit about the word authentic. Okay, it's not just you change your mind. You change the way you do things. It's authentic, meaning it's somehow inside inside the deepest part of who you are you have been converted from the inside and there's only one thing that could mean it's not of man it's of god that's what the word authentic means it comes from god i mean look if i if i was doing what paul said he didn't do in the thessalonian church if i was standing here today this is ridiculous thought but if i was standing here today and i was flattering you in hopes that what you would like me or I was seeking glory for myself or I was trying to trick you and put power over you, trying to control you in some way, manipulate you, maybe for greed, maybe for money, maybe for power, maybe for respect. I'm preaching the gospel to you. So I have those motives. No, that's an external thing in your heart of hearts. Are you authentically converted? Where do you see this in the text? Let me just point to you, to a couple places here. Are you authentic in your conversion? Look at verse 10. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. How many of you are willing to say that in front of the congregation? You you come up here, if you're willing to, and just say, you all are witnesses, not just you, but God is a witness of how holy, righteous, and blameless I was among you. Ooh. How can Paul say that with as much courage, um, with as much com- confidence as it? How can he say that? Here's why he's pointing to his own authentic conversion. He knows it's not his holiness, it's not his righteousness, it's God converting him. It's God in him. Let's read down a little bit in verse 13. We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man. But as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. I'll read that again at work in you who believe. What is it work? What is it? Is it a feeling? Is it a song? Is it is it a thought? It's the word, not of men, but of God. It's the word of God. These are the words of God that give life and convert you authentically. That's that's how you're going to take a risk. That's how you're going to labor and toil. That's how you're going to have intimate affection for one another. That's how it's going to happen. I want to read just real quickly in verse 17. It's outside of our text, but just think about this. Verse 17. It's truly sappy. But since we were torn I mean just I I don't know it's like a soap opera I just can't get away from this torn away it, Paul is just bleeding his heart here but since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time in person not in heart we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire the NIV you all have it it says intense longing <laughs> to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you I Paul I again and again, but Satan hindered us. And look at 19. This is where the authentic conversion comes in. For what is our hope? What is my hope? What's my joy? What's my crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? It's you. You are our glory. You are our joy. In other words, the Word of God is working in you. I see the Word of God working in you, and it reminds me of God. And I love God. It's not your personality, it's not the way you comb your hair, it's not the way you sing. It's God in you that I have fallen so utterly in love with. That's where the affection comes from an authentic conversion. So I ask the question again, are we successful? Are people taking great risks? Are they working and are they toiling out of and for authentic conversion, which always leads to intimate affection? Is that true of us? Is that true of your life? As we think about these things, we're going to move to Jesus Christ. Paul exemplifies a man who does not need man's approval. He's got God's approval. He does not need money. He does not need earthly power. He does not need personal comfort because Almighty God does all of those things for him. Meditate on Jesus Christ, not Paul, the apostle. Certainly, certainly not on anyone in this room. Focus on Jesus Christ. And that's your example of success. Let's pray. God, I am ever uncomfortable as we look at this text together, as we hear your words. Father, I just pray again that your spirit would come and gently, Lord, gently provoke in us an ability to take risks, a desire to labor and toil. Convert us authentically and give us the intimate affection that we see in this text, we pray.